This week, uh, for those of you who don't know, I posted on social media, specifically Facebook, a congratulatory note because out of the 36 from the University of the Philippines, UP, that graduated summa cum laude, two out of the 36 are members of our church. And more than that, what makes me so proud is that these two out of the 36 UP summa cum laude's are actively serving in our church. I joke that extrapolating data such as this, it would seem to suggest that 5.56% of the smartest people in the Philippines attend our church. Now, I know that there are other high academic achievers in other schools, and perhaps even in previous years, but I was not aware of it. And so in that post, I asked people to tell me, and I'm glad you responded, because I honestly was shocked to know that there are so many in our church, in the four services, who are smart and they are intelligent. But you would never know it because most of them are serving humbly uh, as they serve actively. And so in my own rough estimate, if you count those who are the Sumas, the Magnus, and the Cum Laude graduates, it would total up more than hundreds. In fact, uh, it was made known to me that um, our church has many who graduated top in their discipline from their various classes Many board top-notchers, too many to even recount across all disciplines, knowing, uh, to, uh, actually even finding out that uh, in our church previously were people who served, one who was the first ever in the history of UP to garner the summa cum laude rank in the discipline of chemistry. As I was made aware of these individuals, perhaps I need to bump up the percentage to 10% of the smartest people in the Philippines attend our church. Perhaps I can propose that a new slogan for our church next year be, Be smart, attend church at GCCP. Now, on a serious side, two things came to mind as I am made aware of this. First, it was actually quite intimidating now to know that I have to minister to such intelligent and smart people. There was no way I can pull one over you guys, and actually that's a good thing. Because the Bible challenges all of you to be like the Bereans of old, to fact-check every preacher to make sure that he is preaching faithfully the Word of God. And so I praise the Lord that this is a very intelligent congregation, but yet you are so humble in how you express yourself. My ashy second thought was that if I posted this, how would it make people feel? Because I have to consider this every time I post something on social media. I know that I'm a pastor and a public figure. What emotions will it elicit? There for sure will be pride. And pride often brings out the best of feelings, absolutely, but it also brings out the worst of feelings. It goes without saying that pride feels so good, especially when you are introduced as a summa cum laude grad after your name, it is a good feeling, I know. Although when they do it for me, I want to shout out, no, not summa, sumo, sumo. I don't like the added pressure. But it also brings out the worst of feelings. And I knew that there would be some, and please don't raise your hand this morning, who read that post and perhaps felt a bit upset, perhaps feeling a bit jealous, perhaps even a bit defensive. I knew that those would be the emotions elicited 
out of the heart for some. Let me explain. Perhaps some may wonder, where is my compliment from Pastor Steve? Boksu has never publicly praised me in that manner. I've accomplished great things. Perhaps some of you thought, I've had to overcome bigger struggles. I didn't have to work like these students. And because I had to work while I studied, I was not able to spend as much time in studying. Perhaps some may become defensive and say, well, I'm of a different generation. In this generation, it's a lot easier with computers. Back in our days, it was the typewriter. And every time we made a mistake, we had to type the whole page over again. That's why honors back in my generation are much harder to get than honors in this generation. What about those that perhaps Pastor Steve overlooked, whether intentionally or unintentionally? What are the emotions that were elicited? Oftentimes negative, and that is the dark side of pride. It not only brings out the good feelings, it brings out the worst of feelings. Why? Because our pride has taken a hit. You know, pride is such a problem in the human experience that the Bible throughout the Old and the New Testament address the dangers of pride. And so this morning as we continue our sermon series entitled Kings and Kingdoms, we've been looking at various pitfalls that we must avoid in order for us to finish well in life. And it doesn't matter whether we begin well. What is important is that we finish well. I'd like you to turn with me this morning in your Bibles to the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 26. As we take a look at the life of King Uzziah. Now, we're not going to go chronologically through Second Chronicles. We'll go thematically and we'll go back, if you're worried, uh, to address some of the kings that we have skipped since the last time we spoke in this series but this morning we're in Second Chronicles chapter 26, looking at the life of King Uzziah to take a look at the pitfall of pride. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Second Chronicles is in the Old Testament, naturally, of course, after First Chronicles and before the book of Ezra. Reading from chapter 26, verses 3 to 5 of the book of Second Chronicles, it reads this. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. The Bible tells us that King Uzziah became king at the tender age of 16, a youngster by our standards. And yet a 16-year-old can make a decision to follow the ways of the Lord. Never underestimate young people. Never underestimate their ability to make a heartfelt conviction to follow Jesus at a young age. And that's why we have youth camp and college camp. We do it because at those tender age, they can make a decision for Jesus that often will last for the rest of their life. And so we put in the resources and the manpower because we know it is important. 
16 years old, the Bible tells us, he actively sought God's help. And I want you to note the end of verse 5. Look what it says. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God blessed him. It is the running theme, as you know, of these kings that we have studied. As long as they followed and obeyed God, God blessed them. Look at verse 6 to verse 8. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabneh and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. Verse 7. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gur Baal and against the Munites. Also, the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. Note this in the verse 8. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. With God's help, Uzziah's military conquest, even at his young age, he grew the nation of Judah even stronger and stronger. In fact, he became famous among the nations that surrounded Israel. If you read more in verses 9 to 15, it tells you just how powerful he becomes. Some Bible scholars believe that Uzziah, out of all the Judean kings, was the most powerful military might and in land size. Look at verse 15. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame, note this again, spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. He even had people who invented new means of warfare. His fame spread throughout the region. He was a star on the rise. He was an impressive 16-year-old and maturing very quickly, growing stronger each day. And he started oh so well and how much potential he could have had to turn the entire nation of Judah in the south to be one who submitted to the will of God. But you know what? We are not judged by how we begin. We are judged by how we end. And there's a problem. Look at that last phrase of verse 15. Would you underline it? Until he became strong. That is how many of us often fall into the pitfall of pride. We start off well. We need people to help us. We're humble because we have not achieved what we wanted to achieve. And yet, when we gain the experience we need, when we finally figure everything out, when we become strong and we become competent, we begin to forget who was it that helped us. The Bible minces no words. The Bible tells us that it wasn't Uzziah's own two hands and the wisdom of his intelligence that grew his fame and his fortune. Look what the Bible says in verse 15. That phrase, right before till he became strong. For he was marvelously helped. The number one on that list who helped him was the Lord God, who prospered him, who blessed him whose hand of favor was on him. And God sent him advisors like Zechariah and others who counseled him on the decisions that needed to be made. But he forgot all of those things when the Bible tells us he became strong. 
when he became prideful, when he became competent in his mind to be able to do everything by himself. You know, my friends, that's why history is important. History reminds us that when we hit the pinnacle of success, history says you did not reach that pinnacle of success without help from others. History reminds us that it is the Lord God who helped us in the most desperate of times and has sent various people to come to our aid to get us to where we are today. Whether that be parents or guardians or colleagues or business partners, it is God who enables us to reach the pinnacle of success and history helps us keep humble. That's why I often talk about our church's history, not because I like to reminisce in the past, but taking a cue out of Scripture. For God often reminded the people of Israel about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, taking them back in history to show them where they started. And while our church is now growing rapidly this past decade, there was a time when our church went through a time of great difficulty. The church went through desperate times. And yet when we recount history... We see that it is the Lord God who took us from a time of desperation to where we are now. It is not the work of one man. It is not the work of the leadership of the church. It is the Lord God who helped us through to reach where we are today. In fact, uh, this week I was telling some of uh, the counselors and the campers uh, how proud I was of them in their creativity and so many volunteers helping in our high school college and young adults camp. I recounted to them uh, 11 years ago in 2006 when after many years of not having an annual youth camp, uh, I brought it back and said we needed to have a youth camp to attract the young people to our church. But comparing to that first youth camp in 2006 to what we have today, it was sad back then. In 2006, there was no design or production team. If you saw from the video, it was an amazing themed camp this year. You saw the stage with the Pac-Man and the Mario theme. Wow, it was amazing. You know what the stage design looked like in 2006? It was real simple. There was a mic and a mic stand. That was it. Today, I saw three competent groups of high school students leading worship, one on each day. We have the volunteers in our high schoolers, among our high schoolers, to have three separate music teams. Praise the Lord for the talent. Do you know what our music team was in 2006? It was a computer. It was a computer because no one could play any instruments and no one could sing. And so the one who led us in worship was a computer. We downloaded some songs, and when it was our turn to sing, we pressed the space bar, and we sang along like karaoke as the words flashed across the screen. It was pretty sad. But you know, when I think about that, I thank the Lord. I thank the Lord to see that he has led this church but from what it was to what it is now. It is him who enabled the resources and worked in the hearts of volunteers to have what we have today. Not so that we can be proud of what we have, but to remember in humility how gracious God is to avoid falling 
into the pitfall of pride. Look what happens to King Uzziah, verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Look at the end of verse 15 and then the beginning of verse 16. Till he became strong. Verse 16, when he was strong. It happened that when Uzziah became more powerful, he became more prideful. In fact, he began to think he was more powerful than God. He sought to enter the temple to burn incense when God had specifically instructed that only the priest could enter and burn incense. Not any king could enter into the temple of God, not even King David or King Solomon, and certainly not King Uzziah. But why in the world would King Uzziah want to force himself to burn incense before the Lord? Perhaps in his mind he thought, you know what, I'm the king. I can do whatever I please. I can do whatever I want. You tell me this is the one thing I can't do, I'm going to show you that I can do it. I'm going to do the priest's job and burn incense before the Lord. Note what the chronicler states about those who are prideful. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. He was proud. And he foreshadows what happens to the proud. To his destruction. Pride leads to destruction. It is echoing Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And in this case, it led Uzziah to sin against God because he thought himself more truly than he was. Here's what you need to understand, number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, pride causes people to think themselves more highly than they truly are. Pride causes people to think themselves more highly than they truly are. That is the very nature of pride. To exalt yourself, forgetting all the key factors that have led you to where you are today. And if you were to examine your life this morning to where you are today, you will note that it is God's grace and God's mercy and God's blessings and God's sovereign will and God's provision and God's providence, so on and so forth, that has led you to this point. And you know what the common factor is? It is God. The pitfall of pride is that we take what is God and His glory alone and we place it upon ourselves and that's why prideful people think more highly of themselves than what they truly are. May that serve as a warning sign to you. If you believe that your life is built from the sweat of your brow and your two hands, then be careful. That is a warning to you that you are in the pitfall of pride. If you cannot acknowledge that God has any hand in your success, wherever you are in whatever life stage God has put you in, then you are in the pitfall of pride. Because now you think yourself more highly than you truly are. Can you control the day of your death? Can you control every breath that you take? Can you control the weather? As you begin to think about those things, you quickly realize you and I have no control over our lives. So don't begin to think yourself more highly than you truly are. That which God has given you, talents, abilities, 
blessings, remember it is to be used for his glory. I remember a funny story uh, of a late night talk show. I forget which one it was. But he had a guest on, and that guest was a bodybuilder, one of those muscle Mr. Universe type of guys. And he was on this late night American TV show. And the host asked this muscle man, this bodybuilder, if he would like to show off his muscles to the audience. And so with a big grin on his face, he looked at the audience, staring right into the camera, and began to flex his muscle. I'm not going to do it for you, but just use your imagination. I don't have muscles to show you anyway. And he began to flex his muscles in a wide variety of poses to show his sculpted body. And the host said to this man, Boy, you sure, you sure do have the muscles. What do you use all those muscles for? The bodybuilder didn't answer. He just continued to flex and to smile at the audience. Again, the host asked him, What do you use those muscles for? Still grinning, the muscle man remained silent and continued to show off his muscles in every variety and form. Without speaking, the answer was obvious. He didn't use his muscular body and any of his muscles to do any useful work other than to glorify himself. And that's why I don't exercise. I don't work in a shipyard. I don't do heavy lifting for my job. What are muscles for? But I hope you get the picture. As Kent Crockett would note, we often glorify ourselves in many different ways. We use our looks, we use our intelligence, we use our job status, we use our personal accomplishment to do what? Not to glorify God, but to glorify ourselves. Even using spiritual gifts and Christian ministries, not to exalt God, but to exalt ourselves so that people will think us more highly, more spiritual, so that people will begin to appreciate us more. And we take the glory that is God's. Subtly, of course, never intentional. Pride causes people to think themselves more highly than they truly are. May that serve as a warning sign, especially that which you are trying to gain more of. You must ask yourself the question, what is it for? Verse 17. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. The Bible tells us the high priest Azariah and 80 valiant brave priests went in after Uzziah to try to stop him. They were willing to stand up for what is right in defense of what God had so clearly ordered. They didn't care if he was the king of Judah. They didn't care who he was. He would not enter into the temple. The Bible notes that these are valiant men. These are men of honor. Men and women, do you know who, do you know who are men and women of honor? Men and women of honor are those who stand up for what is right and what is true in the sight of God. Those are the people who are to be honored. And the chronicler notes that it is these 80 who are willing to stand against the king, knowing that he could have easily killed them. But they were going to defend the honor of the Lord. These are whom we need to honor. 
But look what they say in verse 18. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priest, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Would you ever talk to a king like that? You don't belong here. Get out of here. We don't care who you are. Note in verse 18, when they address him, they do not address him with his title. You're just Uzziah. Get out of here. You don't belong here. They spoke the words of truth. And this is not what the king wanted to hear. What I want you to focus on is on verse 19. Look at Uzziah's reaction. Then Uzziah became furious. And he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. The Bible tells us when he was rebuked, when he was corrected, instead of backing down and saying, okay, okay, I'm so sorry. I've overstepped my bound. Let me go back to my palace. He got angry. He became defensive. And he forced his way and even grabbed one of the scoopers of the incense. Here's what you need to know, number two, about the pitfall of pride. Number two. Pride causes people to become angry when they are corrected. Pride causes people to become angry when they are corrected. Why? Why do you get defensive and mad and angry when you've been corrected and rebuked? Because your pride has been hurt. You who believe you can do no wrong, you who believe have achieved great things in life, who believe that you shouldn't have anyone tell you what to do, will often become angry and defensive. Let that be a warning to all of us, including me. If we become defensive and angry when we are corrected, then we have fallen into the pitfall of pride. Please be careful that you don't allow your own success to get the best of you. Don't surround yourself with men and women who will only tell you what you want to hear. Because when you get used to hearing only what you want to hear, then when you hear the truth, which is critical, then you will become angry and defensive. There's truth in that old adage. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. If you ever find yourself frustrated, angry, defensive when you're rebuked by the Word of God, challenged to correct, back down, back down. Because that is God correcting you for your good and my good. If not, and you want to fight it, you will have fallen into the pitfall of pride. Look what happens. As Uzziah tried to force his way in, and he tried to enter into the temple to offer sacrifices, what he was doing is forcing the issue, saying, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. But then God shows up and he says, let me show you who's in control. Second part of verse 19. And while Uzziah was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. 
And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead was he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, note this, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. As he tried to force his way in, the Lord struck him with leprosy, that debilitating bacterial infection, and for sure his face began to deform because that's what happens. And that nerve pain and the nerve damage that formed deformity that came with leprosy, it must have scared him. Because the Bible tells us he hurried to get out because not only was he slapped on the hand, but God said, let me show you who's in control. You whose heart has been hardened by pride. To those who are prideful, God will often teach them a lesson to show them he is in control. And this is the third thing I want you to understand. Number three. Pride causes God to act in order to humble you and to protect his glory. Pride causes God to act in order to humble you and protect his glory. God could have struck him dead right there and then. But God struck him with leprosy. God shares his glory with no one. Now, some of you may think, well, God is so selfish. Why would he say that he shares his glory with no one? Because glory belongs to him and him alone, him alone, and he can very much be selfish of that which belongs to him. That we don't even have the right to accuse God of being selfish. That's the truth. Do not steal the glory that is the Lord's. It is His, and it is His to keep. If anyone tries to take the glory of God, I caution you, because you are literally stepping into a landmine, and you're going to get yourself into really big trouble. God acts in order to humble you and protect his glory. To this man who thought I could do no wrong, I can do everything I wanted, God literally tells him, no, you can't. No, you can't. You know, God acting to humble the proud, it shouldn't be a secret to us. It shouldn't be a shock to you. The Bible often speaks against the sin of pride. If you look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, where there is a list, a very specific list, in case anyone wonders. There's a list of the things that God hates. Number one on that list in Proverbs chapter 6 is pride. And throughout the scriptures, we are warned over and over again that if we exalt ourselves, God will bring us down. Shouldn't that be warning enough? And he even gives you examples like Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament and Nebuchadnezzar in the Old. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He stood and he looked over his beautiful city of Babylon and he said, I have done all of these things with my hands. And what does God do? He turns him literally into an animal. It should be no surprise to anyone that God acts to humble the proud. I read somewhere that although we may condemn more visible sins, pride is by far the most deadly. 
because it acts as the gateway to just about every other sin. It acts as a barrier between you and God and your will and God's will. Verse 21. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. From that day forward, Uzziah could no longer enjoy his palace. Here was the king who was rich and powerful and famous. But because of his pride, he spent the rest of his life in an isolated home, far away from his palace, never entering again into the temple of God. Oh, how far the prideful have fallen. Lived the rest of his life, the Bible says, until the day of his death, literally in an isolation unit, unable to even approach the temple of God. Now, who do you blame in this story? Whose fault is this? Was God so mean? Did God not give him another chance? There is no one to blame but Uzziah. Uzziah forced God to act. And God surely acted. Be very careful about falling into the pitfall of pride. Because it will surely not end well for you. Look how he is remembered, verse 22 to 23. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from the first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote, So Uzziah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belonged to the kings, for they said, He is a leper. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. To one who was so famous, to one who... All the neighboring countries knew of him. If he only remained humble, he would have lived a great life. But to one of Israel's greatest kings, you know how he is known by in Israel's history? The prophet Isaiah says of him, he is a leper. He is not known as great King Uzziah who expanded the reach of the Judean kingdom. He is known as the leper king. In fact, not even king. He's simply known as a leper. He had everything. At the age of 16, he already committed to following the ways of God. He did not enter into unsanctioned alliances like his forefathers. It was the pride of his heart that led to his downfall. To one who started out so well, he did not end well. To one who thought he could do everything he wanted, God showed him who was truly powerful. God will protect his honor. God will protect his glory. God will humble the proud. My friends, do not force God to act because when he disciplines us it is not pretty in light of these warnings how do we avoid this pitfall positively let me suggest two things how do we avoid the pitfall of pride number one keep humble keep humble how do we do that practically I wonder how many of us pray every day 
God, allow me no worldly success that will make me proud of heart. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. Give me no success if that success will cause my heart to be proud. That's how you remain humble. It's a dangerous prayer. So how many of us pray it? Another way you can remain humble is to remind yourself daily of your true standing in this world in relation to who God is and what He's done for you. God is the God of the universe, the sovereign God, who with one breath gave you life, who with one word can also take your life. He is the omniscient, omnipotent God, and you are one of seven billion people who deserve nothing. That's where you are in the pecking order of things. Remind yourself of that. That will keep you humble. Remind yourself of the cross. The cross humbles us. Remind yourself of salvation through the cross. We're going to sing a song of response later. And can it be that I should gain? And the the author is asking the question, it's my gain. What do I deserve to get this, this amazing salvation? And the chorus goes, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? You who could not save yourself had to have someone save you. Are you in a position, am I in a position to ever be proud of anything or to be prideful in anything? I could not save myself. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, He extended His grace and mercy to save me. And when we are reminded of the cross every day, for sure we will remain humble. The thought of the cross keeps us humble. You are not as big as God and you will never be. The glory of the Lord will always remain with Him with him. One of the great philosophers is Socrates. And Socrates' disciple once asked the master philosopher, why is it, sir, that you tell all who want to become your followers, your disciple, to look into this pond and tell you what he sees? The wise philosopher answered, my friend is very simple. I'm ready to accept all those to be my followers and disciples who tell me they see the fish swimming around in the pond. For those who tell me they only see their own image mirrored in the water, they are in love with their ego, and I have no use for them. When you look into a pond, what do you see? Do you see the fish? Or do you see yourself? Do you see the world through the lenses of reality? Or do you see the world through the lenses of you? Let's bring this to a modern application. When you walk by a mirror in the mall, you know where I'm going with this. When you walk by a mirror in the department store, do you just have to stop And look at yourself. Enough said. Remind yourself 
that your true standing in this world in relation to God is that you are inconsequential and yet by His grace He has made you His child an heir to His glories wow the second thing guard your hearts how do you guard your heart how do you protect your heart you guard your heart by getting some reality checks because when your head becomes too big for your body figuratively you need someone to shrink it back down to size and you know who's really good at that if you have a problem with ego and pride get married spouses are great at deflating your ego trust me for you who have not been married or are not married parents serve in that capacity parents who bore you and saw you grow up they can put you in your place I know you don't want to hear it from them but they can put you in your place because if you don't want to listen to their advice then perhaps you are already in the pit of pride no one is perfect neither you nor me and so we learn to guard our hearts by admitting mistakes and learning to surrounding ourselves with counselors and advisors whether they be spouses or parents or pastors or other leaders or even peers Surround yourself with those people. It will prevent your pride from taking over you. Guard your heart. Get some reality checks. As you know, we finished our high school retreat yesterday. Now, I had the privilege of speaking at our own church's youth retreat this year. It's been about eight years since I last spoke uh, as the high school speaker. I often don't speak in our own youth camps uh, because uh, the youth high school students often hear me at their chapels and, of course, on the weekends. Uh, and, uh, but I always enjoy going. But this time, uh, it was Pastor JP's uh, first time to be the overall coordinator, and he had asked me to speak and to help him out. I agreed to speak. While the committee was planning the conference retreat budget, I mentioned to JP, JP, remember, you don't need to plan on my love gift because I'm a member of the church staff. It is the policy of the church to avoid double dipping. I'm happy to help in any way. You don't need to get me anything, uh, nothing at all, really. And I really mean that. I just always enjoy being with young people. Well, yesterday was the closing ceremony. And, uh, of course, uh, they appreciated me. Uh, in the closing ceremony, and I was honored. And, you know, the Asian tradition, we got to hand over something. And so, JP gave me a card, a card right here. And I didn't open the card until I was on my way driving back from Tagaytay uh, back to Manila to preach at the Saturday evening service. And when I read the card, I absolutely loved it. It was so much better than any money they could have put in. In my 15 years of speaking at events like this, I'd never gotten a thank you note like the one that was written. Now, I don't think Pastor JP meant, I believe, uh, the words. Maybe he didn't really think through the implication of the words he used. 
But I took it to heart. I thought it was awesome. And I'm going to share you what he wrote. Here in the snake you note, he wrote this. Hi, Reverend Stephen. I owe you big time. Thank you very much for your, own, for your support in our youth camp 2017. When you have one of your staff tell you, I owe you big time, you begin to think, how do I collect? He wrote it in big fonts and in bold. I bring this to show you right there. You can probably read it from the back. I owe you big time. So in my mischievous mind, driving back, I thought, how should I collect? I thought, well, I could invite JP to my house. He could wash my clothes for a week. He could take my turn washing the dishes. Maybe I could get him to drive me around for a week. I know, I could make him do my research for the book I'll plan to write someday. But then I thought through a few options, and I thought, I think I have it. I have it. When him and Vicky have their name next child, I want that child to be named after me. <laughs> and if they balk and don't agree, I will pull out this, which I will have framed. I said, JP, do you remember? You said to me, I owe you big time. Stephen, Stephanie, whatever. Of course, it's all in good fun, and I'm sure the wife has a big say in that. But I will have this framed. I love it. It's great. As I was thinking about this driving back, I thought, you know what? What a great way to remind us as well. What a great way to remind us to be humble. Whether you do this figuratively or you do it for real, maybe you can put out a big piece of paper, frame it, put it by your desk somewhere, and you write the note to yourself to remind you, I owe God big time. And hopefully those words will remember that you and I have no place to find pride in anything that we do because we owe Him big time for everything. For saving me from my sin. For giving me a wonderful family. For giving me a wonderful occupation. For giving me the privilege of, of having an education. Of family and of friends. Of health. Whatever it is. May that reminder that we owe Him big time be a reminder for us to keep humble. Avoid the pitfalls of pride, my friends, and you will finish this life well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great reminder even to me that when I allow pride to creep into my heart, And I need to remember to humble myself before the very presence of God. To remind myself of the realities that I am nothing apart from what you have given me. And the reminder that 
I, who could not even save myself from an, an eternal damnation, have had salvation graciously given to me. Free of charge, as the book of Romans reminds us, so that no one can boast. May you continue to keep our church as a church of men and women who are humble. Do not allow the pride of our heart to lead to our downfall. And if anyone is in the pitfall today, may they be warned lest you soon act in their life. It's a warning for all of us, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.